Welcome to the Someone Summer Podcast. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 60. This episode is brought to you by Fam Taught Me, my fertility awareness education initiative. Find all of my fertility awareness information on my website at www.learnbodyliteracy.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at LearnBodyLit to learn more. In this episode, I'll be covering an overview of the practice of menstrual ritual, both historically and in the contemporary. Particularly, we'll be covering the role that menstrual ritual has had in a variety of cultures around the world, and it can even be said that menstruation has influenced life itself in various epochs of history. Often, a delineation is made between what is considered ancient or traditional and what is considered modern. But we must remind ourselves that this is a colonial construction and that many indigenous people around the world today are still practicing or in the midst of revitalizing menstrual rituals in various traditions. Menarche or first menses, giving birth and menopause are all junctures seen as significant transitions in life and their importance was venerated in many cultures historically, but has had to deal with a lot of patriarchal and Eurocolonial constructions of menstruation, which eventually led to menstrual concealment, taboo, and shame. Okay, so why can't we see that? Why is it that largely menstrual rituals are not observed in modern or Western culture? I often talk about the idea of cycling with your body through my work with the fertility awareness method, and of course, by teaching charting. It's important to create rituals, right? Daily rituals like keeping up with your preventative health methods or timed rituals like changing your regimen a few days before your next bleed to prepare for your next menstruation. There has been some reclamation of this. As more people become interested in the idea of hosting a menarche party, for instance, or properly honoring their first menstruation in life, as well as continuing to maybe educate their younger family members on body literacy, sexuality, and and more. And that's something to keep in mind as we go forward in today's episode. And so today we'll start out by looking at the ways in which menarche and menstruation was celebrated and cared for through traditional rituals, which were often passed down from one generation to the next. Later, we'll compare that to the colonial construction of menstruation through gynecology and scientific dogma, and the industrialization and medicalization of menstruation that followed. And that brings us to present day. I'll talk about the active body literacy movement, the reclamation of menstrual ritual in indigenous cultures, as well as the fight over autonomy with new menstrual constructions that seek to change our relationship to our bodies once again, such as menstrual suppression. A critical idea that had never been introduced to me before becoming a scholar of critical menstrual studies was that traditional menstruation practices, such as menstrual separation, menstrual huts, red tents and moon lodges had alternative cultural value to what we had been taught. 
In the West, these rituals are almost exclusively propagandized as primitive and patriarchal, where women are constructed as oppressed victims who need to be saved by the Western point of view and the Western way of life. And this way of life generally demotes the meaning of menstruation and even seeks to eliminate it through concealment or suppression, only seeing it as useful in relation to reproductive potential. And it turns out that this way of seeing the world is deeply entrenched in Western ideology, where menstruation has no spiritual or cultural value and is simply a biological limitation to be medicated away or transcended via biotechnology. And over time, I've learned just how skewed this viewpoint is, mainly by looking into those cultures who do see menstruation as powerful and worth celebrating. So now let's take a deeper look into a few of these cultures and their ways of knowing in regards to menstruation. In Northwestern California, the Hoopa tribe maintains its traditional rites of passage for young girls. For this group, menstruation holds a profound influence and is believed to restore equilibrium on earth. This tradition is to mark the profound significance of menarche and gratitude for menstruation through the flower dance called Chiilwal. For months preceding the ceremony, the young women and their families diligently gather sacred items, clothing, and foods essential to the ceremony. And over several days, young women follow designated paths and immerse themselves in special locations in the river. Later on, men would bathe at these sites in order to ensure their own strength and health. During the ceremony, called the Kinaldung, the girls experiencing her first bleed in life wears a face covering that's adorned with blue jay feathers and a maple bark skirt, while members of the community engage in the customary song and dance. The veil helps to prevent others from seeing the dancer's eyes and evokes one's special powers during this time as a menstruating person. This culminates with the grand feast, gifts, and celebration of women's role in the community at large. Settlers deliberately aim to destroy these ceremonies and miners and soldiers kidnapped and sexually assaulted Hoopa girls during their flower dance. Christian missionaries also shamed girls and Hoopa women for celebrating their menstrual cycles, and the practice was either done in secret or slowly, not at all. In 2014, for the first time in 150 years, Hoopa women participated in the flower dance. The revival of this practice, which was actively suppressed by European settlers during colonization, is using the ritual as part of healing from this trauma. Hoopa women have made some modifications to this ritual, such as maybe the length of the flower dance may be shorter than the customary seven days, and also the girls may wear shoes instead of running barefoot. Hoopa women illustrate for us that cultural perspectives and attitudes towards menstruation were by no means universally stigmatized throughout history. In fact, prior to European contact, menstrual traditions transcended the individual and were perceived as a method to maintain harmony in the world and to connect the community to the health of the planet. These examples showcase ancient wisdom that has struggled to persist over time, highlighting the dynamic nature of values, worldviews, and mythology that is involved in menstrual life. Now we'll take a look at the practices that Ojibwe women observe during their menstruations. According to Ojibwe culture, 
Menstruation is one of the most powerful psychic and spiritual times and allows women to shed accumulated experiences and stresses associated with their gender, underscoring the profound impact of meditative practices and the menstrual period as a period of rest and comfort within one's own body. In other words, menstruation is seen as an avenue to remove negative energies, painful memories, and accumulated stress. Ojibwe women, indigenous peoples with communities dispersed throughout the American Midwest, view self-isolation during menstruation as a rejuvenating and meaningful practice called the Moon Lodge. This practice involves women secluding themselves from the community in a wigwam during menstruation with the goal of an energy cleanse and restorative isolation. A woman would remove her cedar boughs from her front door and take them to create a pathway to her moon lodge, as cedar is a medicine associated with keeping women safe, and the missing cedar signifies to other women in the community that she is menstruating. And so to visit and feed and check in on her is important. Other practices involved with this period of time include refraining from sexual activity, ceremonies, and food preparation, as well as respite from childcare duties. You can clearly see that the theme is rest when you look at these practices. Along with this is the strong component of communal care, where other women may visit the Moon Lodge with meals and to ensure the well being and the contentment of the menstruating woman. Altogether, this ritual fostered stronger community bonds while keeping menstruations healthy and regular through proper physical, mental, and emotional care. And similar to Hoopa women, Ojibwe women have also modified their rituals. Maybe they won't stay in the Moon Lodge for the entire cycle, but they will make an attempt to enter it for at least a part of the menstrual bleed. This is also an important time for mothers and aunts to spend with daughters and nieces, as well as other women friends, and a time to share stories and pass on teachings, practices, and words of support. Ojibwe women also celebrate menarche through making offerings to the four directions, putting down tobacco, praying and eating a big feast with family and friends, and these types of revitalizations are crucial for Native peoples to experience the impact of assimilationist federal policies and who often chose to distance themselves from their traditional tribal practices as a matter of survival under a colonial regime. In We Are Dancing For You, Native Feminisms and the Revitalization of Women's Coming-of-Age Ceremonies, Kutcher Riesling Baldy notes that the European settlers and Christian missionaries portrayed indigenous menstrual traditions as shameful and primitive. Baldy is a member of the Hoopa tribe in California and argues that undermining the power and leadership roles of women within tribal communities was a key objective for settlers seeking control over native land and resources. Kinalda is considered to be the most important ritual, the puberty ritual for girls in Navajo tradition. The first menstruation in life is a source of joy and the beginning of becoming a woman, and the ceremony sets her up for a good life and for her to be involved in the community through her strength, but also her kindness and generosity. Kinalda lasts four nights and five days, celebrated as soon as possible after the first menstruation begins. 
the ideal woman, a female elder and mentor, helps guide the changing woman, the menstruator, through the process of transformation. The ceremony itself has five steps, molding into changing woman, running, hair washing, painting, and the making of a corn cake. Changing woman is a Navajo deity who embodies the ideals of a Navajo woman, a supreme mother who is kind, nurturing, but also strong and physically beautiful. The ideal woman is chosen by the family of the girl being initiated, and her role is to represent those ideals and to help mold her physically. During Kinalda, the initiate's body is thought to be as soft as it was when they were born, and so this is a key time for shaping her future. The girl lies face down on a blanket or a sheepskin, while the ideal woman or another close relative reshapes her by massaging her body and molding it so she can possess physical and psychological qualities of changing woman. And this is done by straightening her arms and legs, smoothing her joints, and pressing her muscles. After this, women tend to her hair, and they create a particular form of knot and wrap it with deer skin strings. The girl must then run two to three times per day each day towards the east at dawn, noon, and sunset as part of the ceremony. The run is about a quarter of a mile long, and this action represents life's challenges and to make her stronger, more powerful, energetic, diligent, and increases her lifespan. The next step is the hair washing, in which the hair is washed with the yucca plant and ceremonial Navajo basket. Her jewelry is also washed, representing purification. Her mother pours the water out near her home so that the girl will always be connected to the place where she grew up. Then ideal woman paints her face with white clay or ashes from aspen tree bark in order to increase her height and slow aging. Sometimes other tribal members are also painted to bring blessings. The ceremony is not complete without the making of the corn cake, an action which represents changing woman, fertility, and life. The purpose of this cake is as an offering to the sun, and four pinches are buried to offer to the earth. First, the corn must be ground, usually by women, and prepared, representing motivation and endurance, and on the fourth day, the cake is baked. The girl does not eat the corn cake, but instead gives it to those in attendance to show her gratitude. And on the final evening, the medicine man of the tribe comes to join the festivities, and everyone prays for the girl and the well-being of the whole tribe. The next story is about a beautiful and fascinating coming-of-age ritual that occurs in the Amazon jungle. The Pelazon ceremony begins with a year of isolation, at which time girls will be welcomed back into the tribe as women. The Tacuna tribe of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil observes a distinctive tradition to mark the onset of their young girl's first menses. When she begins to bleed, she is secluded in a solitary house for an entire year with her grandmother as the sole visitor allowed. During this year together, her grandmother imparts various traditional skills, encompassing weaving, the identification of medicinal plants, and family care. After the year of seclusion is complete, the tribe assembles in a procession to escort these young girls back to the Maloka a central structure where ceremonies are held. Covered entirely in a pigment called huito, 
the young woman undergoes the Pelazon ceremony, during which she is revealed to the tribe as a woman. The celebration unfolds over three days, featuring rituals, dances, and feasts, with men presenting hunted animals to the girls' families as a gesture of respect, and the Pelazon ceremony serves as a lesson in honoring the first menstrual cycle and all the subsequent cycles experienced in adulthood, echoing the practices of mothers and grandmothers. Our next menstrual ritual takes place during monsoon season in honor of the goddess Kamakia, who is believed to be menstruating for these four days. You may also hear it described as the Earth's menstruation. Throughout the monsoon season in Assam, a northeastern state in India, temples shutter their doors and all agricultural activities come to a halt for a span of four days. This pause is in observance of the belief that the goddess Kamakya undergoes menstruation during this time, leading to the closure of the temple as a gesture of reverence. Devotees of Kamakya patiently wait outside of the temple doors while the rest of the town engages in the Ambubachi Mela festival. Visitors from neighboring towns gather to celebrate Kamakya, seeking spiritual guidance and abundance. Upon the reopening of the temple doors, devotees receive damp cloths known as prasad, symbolizing the goddess's menstrual fluid. According to Shakti tradition, a sect of Hinduism, the prasad is believed to bring good fortune. During the Ambubachi Mela, devotees not only celebrate fertility in a literal sense, but also symbolically, as the seasonal monsoon rains signify the earth's fertility and its life-nurturing power. Ritu Sudhi, Ritu Kala Samskara, also known as Ritu Kala Samskaram, is a significant cultural and traditional practice observed in various parts of India. This ritual is closely associated with a girl's menarche, marking her transition from childhood into womanhood. The term Ritu Kala Samskara translates to ritual of the seasonal time, emphasizing the connection between the ceremony and the onset of menstruation in the context of the girl's biological and psychological changes. During Ritu Kala Samskara, families often conduct elaborate ceremonies to celebrate the girl's coming of age after her first menstruation. The ritual typically involves religious and cultural customs, including prayers, blessings from elders, and symbolic gestures. The girl may be adorned with traditional attire like wearing a half sari or sari and jewelry signifying her newfound status within the community. The celebration is not only a recognition of physical maturity, but is also an acknowledgement of the girl's evolving responsibilities within the family and society. While specific customs may vary across regions and communities in India, the essence of Ritu Kala Samskara lies in the affirmation of a young girl's transition into womanhood, emphasizing the cultural richness and diversity that characterizes such ceremonies in Indian traditions. This ritual not only highlights the importance of embracing natural life cycles, but also serves as a bonding moment for families and communities as they come together to celebrate this significant milestone in a young girl's life. Now we'll turn to the Philippines, where there's a strong belief that using your own menstrual blood to wipe your face at your first menstruation can prevent skin breakouts for your lifetime. 
Elders, for instance, may falsely claim the presence of a fly on the girl's face while washing period-stained underwear, leading to an unintentional blood application. While this idea may sound unconventional, there may be some basis to it, as a study suggests that endometrial blood may possess healing and regenerative properties. And though scientists haven't established a direct correlation, some people have experimented with incorporating menstrual blood into face masks to explore potential health benefits. And while this is still untested, it's an intriguing concept that might foster a sense of empowerment in one's body and certainly has a strong superstition in Filipino culture. Now, when researching about this practice, I found a lot of anecdotes online where various Filipino women claim that it works and even going as far as to say that one member of their family that didn't embrace this practice ended up with a lot of skin issues. And there was also quite a few articles claiming to quote unquote debunk this myth through typical Western science with typical gynecological experts assuring us that this practice incurs no real health benefits. But with all of the menstrual rituals we've been discussing in this episode, it definitely begs the question of why, nearly universally, do we see examples of the suppression of these traditions and their denigration as having no significance, simply because there's no scientific study behind it? It really highlights that in the Western world, there is no room for the cultural or spiritual significance of menstruation and that this worldview must be enforced in order to be maintained. What strikes me most is the need to always correct or fact check when these ritualistic practices are brought up or reclaimed in a modern sense by women of the culture. Pygmy culture treats menstrual blood as a symbol of life and menarche is considered a great gift. The Elima or puberty festival is one of the happiest and most joyful occasions in a young person's life. The Elima involves seclusion and moving into a special hut for a month or two after her first menstruation, where the imparting of wisdom from older women in the Elima house takes place, such as learning songs and the crafts of motherhood, as well as plenty of time for running and playing in the forest. The focus of this ritual is to show that the girls have been blessed with the blood and have become women. The girls will often express which boys they're interested in and they place marks on them which binds them to visit the Elima house. The Elima celebrates adulthood for the boys as well because the boys must express courage to fight their way into the house through the women who are guarding it with vines and wood and they even may whip the boys who try to enter. Uh, but eventually, once they gain access to the Alima house, they are allowed to flirt with or maybe even be intimate with the girl who invited them. Pygmy culture dictates that one openly express their emotions, and this ritual is focused on how a girl's mother and female relatives all come together to teach her and assist her in finding the right mate in life. In general, pygmies believe that the forest will provide everything necessary, such as food and shelter, and their relationship and love for the environment reflects in their positive attitude toward menstruation. The West African Dagara tribe from Burkina Faso, West Africa, believe that women have originally come from the moon and that menstruating women carry healing energy within themselves and also have incredible healing abilities as well as heightened intuition. Menstruation is considered a time of extreme clarity, 
where you may be able to understand things a bit clearer, both with yourself and with others around you. Dagara women initiate girls once a year and include all the girls who've begun menstruating that year. The ritual takes place somewhere between December and February, where the girls learn about sex, intimacy, and many other traditions. And even after the initiation, the teachings continue through mentoring from older women. Red items are placed on a special shrine, and the spirit of the Divine Feminine is called upon to share messages of great importance or need. And then one can ask to be shown how to help better the situation or the world. The Dagara tradition also offers each menstruation to the moon to affirm and celebrate the connection to it, calling it moon blood. This is performed by taking the blood outside to the shrine, praying, and then offering it to the trees or plants. And other people may also perform rituals for an individual who is bleeding or be asked by a bleeding individual to fulfill a wish and the men and women of the tribe oblige the request. In Malawi, menstrual rituals and practices are important for a number of reasons, including the celebration of adulthood, validation of female identity, and enabling culturally specific gendered social dynamics. The importance of the initiation ritual cannot be understated because it is the celebration of the shared female gender identity and it is thus larger than the experience of the individual. Typically, menarche ceremonies involve various symbolic acts and rituals to signify the girl's passage into womanhood. Some of these rituals may include large numbers of children at specific times of the year, while others may be more informal and personalized to the community. These culturally specific ceremonies go by many names depending on the locality. This may include traditional dances, songs, and communal feasts, where family and community members come together to celebrate the young girl's transition. Elders, particularly older women in the community, play a crucial role in guiding the girl through the rituals, offering wisdom and advice on womanhood, sexuality, relationships, and familial responsibilities. These menarche rituals in Malawi not only serve as a rite of passage, but they also contribute to the preservation of cultural identity and community cohesion. In Malawi, the menarche ceremony is actually seen not as the beginning of adulthood, but a transition of adulthood. Basically, after the ritual, the girl is now considered a woman. The ceremonies foster a sense of belonging and support for the young girls, creating a space where they can feel embraced by their community as they navigate the physical and emotional changes that are associated with adolescence. And it also shows how the work of mothering and childcare is dispersed across the community. And thus the ritual welcomes girls into this responsibility of womanhood as a whole in their society. In this way, menarche rituals in Malawi are an integral part of the cultural tapestry that connects generations and reinforces the significance of this pivotal life stage. In this culture, menarche is not just the development of menses, but the development of female consciousness. And through this becoming, they gain access to community-based status and the power that comes with it. So to review, we just discussed Hoopa women and Chiwal, Ojibwe women and the Moon Lodge, Navajo women and Kinalda, Tikuna women and Pelazon, 
Indian women and the Ambu Bachi Mela Festival and the Ritu Kala Samskaram ceremony, Filipino women and menstrual pamin or superstition, Pygmy women and ilima, Dagara women and moon blood, and Malawi women and menstrual becoming. So what are the common themes between all of these rituals? You know, why has human culture placed such a particular emphasis on menstrual rituals? And what does it mean for the world if we not only remove menstrual rituals, but menstruation itself? There are common themes here that seem to surface through these rituals, that's for sure. And the first being the most primary in that menstruation is a gift. It is sacred and it's worth celebrating. Menstruation has meaning beyond a biological function. And although menstruation is a physical biological process, it clearly operates on other planes of existence as well. And this leads me to the next common theme, which is that menstruation brings intuitive and psychic power. The drop in hormones that triggers menstruation are unlike any other time in the menstrual cycle's hormonal fluctuations. And this allows us to perceive with the least possible veil over our reality. You can think of it as though the effects of estrogen and progesterone can sometimes soften our view of the world and allow us to see things with rose-colored glasses. But when we reach menstruation, we have the ability to see in our most raw form, a deeply spiritual time where intuition and mental acuity may be clearer. There also are many instances where it's seen as a shedding and a renewal, and those themes also really bring clarity. In addition to how menstruation affects the individual, the next common theme is that menstrual rituals foster community and social bonds. Many of these rituals focus on passing down matriarchal customs, such as living with your grandmother or receiving wisdom from female elders in the community. They are also celebrations that include the whole tribe, and men are often involved in these rituals. Either they provide hunted meat for the feast, or they have some other participation, like bathing in the same river to receive strength, or fighting to enter the ceremony hut. Menstruation is not celebrated in isolation, but with the community, as strong, healthy menstruating people is tied with the success of the whole culture and the reproduction of both people and culture. This unsurprisingly relates to the egalitarian nature of these cultures in general and the fact that menstruation is not seen as taboo, but as sacred and worthy of veneration. The next common theme with menstrual ritual is becoming and codifying menstrual behavior and feminine consciousness. Many of these rituals are initiations into the responsibilities, actions, and care expected of a woman during her menstrual and reproductive life in their respective culture. Indeed, an elevated social status is also bestowed upon the woman when she begins menstruating and she embodies feminine consciousness. This process of becoming allows girls to enter womanhood with a deep sense of belonging, accountability, and strength. Related to this is that these menstrual initiations are usually explicit blessings over their menses and the next phase of their lives in general. The success of the ritual is connected to the constituency of the person for years to come. Another common theme is the connection between the earth and the body. Many of the rituals give offerings to the earth, 
the sun or other deities that represent women, fertility, or the natural world. These rituals also tied in with many of the larger themes in indigenous spirituality and reverence for the resources that the earth provides and how it speaks to us, how we must be good stewards towards it, having a relationship with it, nurturing it, and giving back to it. Sometimes this is achieved literally through the composting of menstrual blood, but other times it's some other important or sacred offering in order to strengthen this connection and harmony between the body and the earth. There are also many earthly remedies to menstrual pain, such as herbs and roots. So as the earth provides for us, these cultures prioritize providing for the earth back in connection with the greater whole. The last theme I want to mention here, and is definitely connected with the body earth, is healing from colonial trauma. Many of the cultures mentioned endured European colonization of some kind and the spread of Christian missionaries. This oppression meant the loss of ritual, the criminalization of ritual, and the death of culture through genocide, enslavement, and various forms of colonial violence, intimidation, and assimilation. The resurgence of these menstrual rituals today shows us that indigenous people are healing from the ongoing colonial violence and shedding the secrecy, stigma, and shame that was associated with them through a Western lens. They are reclaiming some of their most important rituals and strengthening their communities each time they come together to celebrate menstruation and the start of menstrual life. Menstrual rituals hold immense power, significance, and meaning. These are not just celebrations, but deeply rooted cultural, spiritual, and social gatherings that are rites of passage and the becoming of a new generation. Menstruation remains a natural and transformative aspect of a young menstruator's life, unifying the community, blessing the future, and growing the spirit. If menstrual rituals signify the cyclical nature of life and fertility, and the connection between the natural world and the body, what does it mean that in modern culture there has been such a deep emphasis on downplaying it? Since menstrual suppression became a commonplace practice, we have Western views going as far as to say that you don't need a menstruation at all. Not only was the West successful at removing menstrual rituals from people who practice them, it has now found a biotechnological way to remove them entirely. Considering what we just learned about the important power that menstruation holds and the significance of this rite of passage, one has to wonder how this affects the growth of girls and the growth of communities and culture at large. How easily the erasure of menstruation, constructed as choice in modernity, becomes a way to codify already deeply entrenched Eurocolonial ideas about menstruation as disease, disgusting, and inferior. This episode has really asked me to interrogate what's been lost in my own life and culture, and how much I find rituals to be important on an individual level, and also how I yearn for them to be celebrated more collectively. There are ways in which individuals are participating in reclamation that are very exciting, and I hope to see more discussion of menstrual rituals from menarche to menopause in the future. Hey, I really appreciate you checking in and listening to this episode. 
If you liked it, please share it with someone. You can find my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you can take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review me, I would really appreciate that because doing so helps more people find the show. This episode is brought to you by my fertility awareness education initiative, hashtag fam taught me. You can book a session with me by heading over to www.learnbodyliteracy.com and always follow me on Instagram at learnbodylit to learn more. Don't forget to check out my new course, Breaking Up With Birth Control. Your support is always appreciated. This concludes episode 60 of Someone Somewhere podcast. Good night.